You're called to a doctor's office for a 43-year-old woman that's 28 weeks pregnant. A staff member at the clinic tells you that she came in for a routine prenatal checkup and was complaining of feeling short of breath. A nurse says that she's known the patient for a long time and that she just doesn't look right. Her vital signs are blood pressure, 132 over 80, heart rate, 113, respiratory rate, 26, oxygen saturation, 100% on room air. She reportedly takes aspirin and levothyroxine. You ask the patient to move from the exam table to the gurney and notice that she has a hard time catching her breath when she stands up. You're listening to 911Cast, the no-nonsense EMS podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by Madison Programs, a Brooklyn-based medical training and consulting company with over 20 years of experience specializing in emergency medical continuing education and AHA certification classes like CPR and first aid for community members and professionals. I'm Scott Topiel, and this week, it's all about pulmonary embolism. A pulmonary embolism, or PE, is an obstruction of the pulmonary artery or one of its branches. While it can be caused by a number of different materials, the most common is a thrombus, a piece of a clot that's broken off and traveled from another part of the body. From an EMS perspective, you've probably encountered more patients that have suffered from pulmonary embolisms than you realize. PEs are responsible for the deaths of about 100,000 Americans each year and are a common cause of sudden cardiac arrest, especially among people under the age of 65. While pulmonary embolisms are common, they can be quite difficult to identify. PE symptoms vary widely and are often nonspecific mimicking other conditions. Sometimes their presentation is extreme, presenting a sudden death. Other times, the presentation is more subtle. The key to recognizing the possibility of a PE is to know the risk factors and common signs and symptoms, and to view your patients in the context of your assessment findings. Let's talk about the common risk factors. These are things that increase a person's likelihood of developing a blood clot somewhere in the body that can ultimately become a pulmonary embolism. These include things like recent surgery, the use of oral or transdermal birth control, hormone replacement therapies like estrogen or testosterone, cancer, kidney disease, obesity, heart failure, or gastrointestinal conditions such as inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's, or ulcerative colitis. Other things to look out for that can increase the possibility of a PE are smoking, immobility, such as being bedbound, a history of prolonged sitting or crouching, think about carpet or floor installers, or a recent history of extended travel, whether it's by plane, car, or train. Don't forget about supercommuters. A person that drives two hours to an office job where they sit most of the day and then spend another two hours in the car on the way home can develop blood clots, especially in the legs, that can in turn lead to a PE. Of course, a previous history of blood clots or clotting disorders increases the risk. Then there's pregnancy. It's thought that the enlarged uterus decreases venous return, slowing the movement of blood and encouraging clots to form. That, combined with a natural state of increased blood coagulation during pregnancy, 
means that a pregnant woman's risk of developing a blood clot can be as much as 50 times higher than that of a non-pregnant woman. With those risk factors in mind, let's look at some of the signs and symptoms of pulmonary embolism. Shortness of breath is the most common one, especially if it comes on suddenly while at rest, though the onset doesn't necessarily have to be rapid. Be on the lookout for tachypnea, an increased respiratory rate. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to actually count respirations. Numerous studies have shown that the respiratory rate is among the most sensitive vital sign for detecting the potential for complications. Remember, the normal adult respiratory rate is between 12 and 20 breaths per minute. A sustained respiratory rate higher than that, especially when combined with a risk factor for PE, is a huge warning sign that you just can't ignore. Unexplained tachycardia is another pulmonary embolism red flag. Sustained tachycardia, that's a heart rate over 100 for an adult while at rest, especially if there are risk factors, needs to be taken seriously. Patients might also complain of pleuritic chest pain. That's chest pain that's usually described as sudden, sharp, stabbing, or burning, and tends to get worse with deep breathing, coughing, or even laughing. It can sometimes also be reproducible with palpation. So if you've ever been told that chest pain that gets worse when you press on it is always musculoskeletal and therefore harmless, think again. Of course, since PE is tricky, dull chest pain could also be a symptom. Some patients with PE develop an unexplained cough, usually dry and non-productive, but sometimes they cough up blood. Your patient might also report orthopnea, shortness of breath that happens when they lie down. Since these complaints can also be associated with a number of other conditions, you can see why identifying pulmonary embolism can be difficult. Another common symptom, one that's present in over 40% of PE cases, is tenderness, swelling, or redness to the calf or thigh. That's because many PEs originate from a deep vein thrombosis in the leg, also known as a DVT. Okay, you've identified the risk factors and determined that their symptoms suggest a pulmonary embolism. Now what? First, recognize that this patient is unstable. Even if they aren't currently in respiratory failure or shock, they're at risk for sudden cardiac arrest. Keep a close eye on the patient. The last thing you want to do is show up in the ER with a patient in unrecognized PEA arrest. As always, follow your local protocols and medical direction. But field treatment typically focuses on respiratory support. Provide supplemental oxygen to maintain an O2 saturation of at least 90%. If your patient's respiratory status doesn't improve with oxygen, consider CPAP or BiPAP if available and the patient's blood pressure permits, usually above 90 systolic. While non-invasive positive pressure ventilation won't fix the problem, it might help oxygen get to those deeper alveoli that might be unaffected by the clot. If that doesn't work, you might need to provide manual ventilations using a bag valve mask or, if available, consider intubation. In terms of hemodynamic support, your first line should be an IV crystalloid, like normal saline, to treat hypotension. Be careful to assess frequently to prevent fluid overload. A good rule of thumb is to get a baseline set of lung sounds and then listen to them again every 250 milliliters for the development of crackles. If you suspect fluid overload, stop the infusion. This is especially important if the patient has underlying right-sided heart failure. 
If fluids don't work, it's time to add a vasopressor. Which presser will depend on your particular system, but norepinephrine tends to be the preferred drug because it's less likely to cause tachycardia. You can also consider dopamine or epinephrine, but since your patient is likely to already be tachycardic due to the PE, there's a risk that these medications can further increase heart rate, resulting in decreased filling time that leads to decreased cardiac output and worsening hypotension. You get some more information from your patient as you leave the doctor's office. She tells you that her shortness of breath started suddenly last night while watching TV and hasn't gotten any better. You ask her if anything else is bothering her and she says that she also noticed soreness to her left calf. You find it curious that she's taking aspirin despite being pregnant, so you ask her why. She tells you that she has a clotting disorder and that she was taken off of her regular anticoagulants and placed on aspirin as an alternative because it was less risky to her pregnancy. You recognize that even without an underlying clotting disorder, pregnancy is a risk factor for PE. Her complaints of shortness of breath at rest, leg tenderness, sustained tachycardia, and increased respiratory rate make you suspicious for pulmonary embolism. You monitor her closely and transport her to the ER. Shortly after you leave, your patient's respiratory status declines and she's placed on BiPAP and transferred to the ICU. There, she's diagnosed with multiple distal pulmonary emboli and placed on heparin. She remains in the hospital for several days, improves, and is discharged. She ultimately gives birth to a healthy baby. While you can't diagnose pulmonary embolism in the field, knowing the risk factors and common signs and symptoms can help you identify those most likely to have one. These patients are an increased risk for rapid deterioration and sudden cardiac arrest. Monitor them closely and be prepared to intervene. That's it for this week's episode of 911Cast. Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes so that other EMS professionals will know to listen to this podcast. We'd also like to thank our founding sponsor, One Kit First Aid Kits. Check out their quality first aid products at buyonekit.com. That's B-U-Y-O-N-E kit.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.